Well, good morning and welcome again. It's really lovely to see you all here today. I know I always say that, don't I? But, um, but it's really true, I really mean it. It's really lovely to see you all. And uh, especially, I know we've got a number of guests today, and it's really lovely to see you as well with us. Okay, well, I'm going to just jump straight in. Okay, hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, God sent a number of prophets to his people. And one of the recurring themes of the prophecies they brought was of the day of the Lord or the coming of the day of the Lord. One day, they said, God's presence would come to earth. And for those that loved God, this would be a glorious day. Because when God's presence comes, then things happen. The coming of God's presence was associated with freedom, with redemption, with healing and restoration. For God's people, this was good news. One of these prophets was called Joel. And the day of the Lord, the, the day that God's presence would come, was a, a particular theme of his prophecy. And many of you will be familiar with a part of that. He wrote, and you can read this in Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So we fast forward 500 years or so to Jerusalem. Jesus has died and he's been raised from the dead. He spent 40 days with his disciples and then ascended to heaven. And now the disciples, in obedience to Jesus' command, are waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And then we're told that one day... They were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire came and rested on each one of them where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was the beginning of the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. God the Father poured out his spirit on the disciples on the day that we now remember as Pentecost. I say it was the beginning of the fulfillment because God hasn't finished pouring out his spirit. He is still doing it today. He's still doing it even here in Chertsey. And so over these next few weeks... As we lead up to Whitson or Pentecost Sunday, we want to take the opportunity to do a series of messages considering the significance and relevance of the fact that God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. What does it mean for us as individuals to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like for us as a church to be filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit? What difference does it make for, uh, does the presence of God by his spirit in, our, in his church make to the community that we live in? My hope and my prayer is that as we look at these things, we will be filled with a desire for more of God's presence, for a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence that we need. It is God's presence that the world needs. See, God's presence is key. And 
the theme of God's presence is a thread that we can follow right from Genesis through to Revelation. And I want to start this morning by doing just that. I think it's a helpful way to learn sometimes, rather than just having lots of disjointed pieces of information, to try and relate them together, if you can, into a bigger framework. I think um, bringing things together like this can help us make sense of things, and we can see patterns emerge and themes develop. And so as we think about the coming of God's presence through his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, I think it's good if we can see where that fits into the bigger story, indeed to see where we fit in that bigger story too. So the first time, then, we read of God being present with his people is back in Genesis. God had created the earth, and on it he had planted a garden, a beautiful place for the first human beings to live. And we read that God walked in the garden. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. That's a real picture of closeness and intimacy. See, when we go for a walk with someone, usually it's so we can spend time with them. Now, we might enjoy the scenery, we might talk, or we might not. But mostly, we just enjoy being together. And that's how it was. God's presence was with Adam and Eve. There were no barriers. Nothing was hidden. It was just love and trust and delight. Yes, the garden, of course, was beautiful, and yes, it was a time when there was no sickness, no pain, no fear, no death. But over and above everything, the thing that sets this time apart is the fact that Adam and Eve enjoyed the pure, unfiltered, pure presence of God. But you know the story, of course. Adam and Eve betrayed God's trust and broke the relationship. They hid from God's presence because of their shame, and then they experienced Um, being banished from the garden. And most importantly, they experienced being banished from God's presence. But God didn't leave them there, and that was never part of his plan. What we see through the whole of the Old Testament is that God's presence did come to be with his people. But it was in a very restricted way, wasn't it? Keith talked to us a few weeks ago about the temple and how it was that in the temple, heaven and earth met. It was in the temple that God's presence came. But uh, first of all, that was in the tabernacle, a kind of glorified tent that they took with them where they went. But later on, in the, in the majestic temple that um, Solomon built in Jerusalem. And of course, it was wonderful for the people to know that God was there amongst his people. There was a very real sense in which he was present. But as individuals, they could never experience his presence themselves. God limited himself to the holy of holies, the most restricted place in the temple. And just once a year, the high priest could have access. Now, of course, this limited um, access, this limited presence was immeasurably better than being abandoned by God. But it was a long, long way from the intimacy of the garden. But that wasn't the end of the story. God's plan was for complete restoration. God's plan was for a new garden and the next stage of that plan was put into action when uh, the son of God came. For a few brief years God himself came to earth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's presence came to earth in the person of Jesus. This was God's presence somehow constrained in a human form. For a time Jesus became the temple, the place where heaven and earth met, the place where God's presence was on the earth. 
And I'm sure that many of us would have loved to have been there at that time, wouldn't we? To have actually seen Jesus in the flesh, to have heard him, and perhaps to have actually been with him. But of course the reality is that very few people experienced Jesus in this way. In terms of his physical presence, Jesus was limited. In terms of God being with his people, this was just a step on the journey. But before we move on to the next step, I just want to um, note a couple of points here. First, the effect of the presence of God. John the Baptist was in prison, and he sent word to Jesus to ask, are you the one that is to come? And in Luke's account, we read this. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Where the presence of Jesus was, there was freedom and restoration and healing. That's the first thing to note. The second is that as Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple, the curtain that divided the most holy place from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And the symbolism of that is immense. No longer was God's presence on earth restricted to that one place. No longer was access restricted to one person once a year. Now everyone can have access um, to the Father through Jesus. We can have access at any time. And the promise that Jesus, that, that Jesus gave is that his presence would be with his people through the Holy Spirit that the Father would give. That's the next chapter. Before I move on to that, I just want to reinforce that last point. I said that everyone who trusts in Jesus can have access to the Father. And that really does mean everyone. Because of Adam's sin, we were all separated from the presence of God. We all lived with the judgment of separation from God forever over us. But on the cross, Jesus suffered separation from God so that we don't have to. We can all know peace with God, but only through Jesus. There are no other doors to come into God's presence. Don't count yourself out. There is no one here today that can't be forgiven and no reconciliation with God. And if you think that might be you, then I would encourage you to seek someone out afterwards and talk to them and let them pray with you. But for now, we move on to the next stage of God's plan of reconciliation and restoration. See, the promise of the Father was that the Spirit of Jesus would be poured out on his people. And on the day of Pentecost, that happened, as we read at the beginning. So as I said, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this was just the start. As we read through the New Testament, we see this was a normal experience of the early church. The Holy Spirit was poured out and gave gifts that brought blessing both inside and outside the church. And you can try if you want to, but you won't find anywhere in the New Testament or anywhere indeed in the Bible that says that this outpouring of the Spirit was for the early church only. The promise is still for us today. 
See, for this era of history, this time between Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father and his return to earth sometime in the future, we, both as individuals and as a church, are the place where heaven meets earth and God's blessing comes. In his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, um, to the Corinthian church, Paul reminds the believers that their bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul tells the church that in Christ they are being joined together, growing into a holy temple for in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. See, we are the temple of God. And from these verses we see this has to do with worship and intimacy and abiding. The veil in the temple has been torn down. Indeed, the temple itself has gone. Now we have immediate access to the Father so we can be in his presence and we are the place where he dwells by his Holy Spirit. But being the temple of God isn't an insular thing. Because remember, where the presence of God is, there is blessing. And as the temple of God, we are the source of blessing in the world. When you remember Ezekiel's vision, he saw a river flowing out from the temple into the surrounding area, into the desert, and it brought life where it went. Until Jesus comes again, this is our role. The Holy Spirit has been poured out so that we can bring healing and life and blessing to the world that we are in. I say until Jesus comes again, because of course this era of history that we are now in will come to an end. There is a day set in God's diary when Jesus will come again and make his dwelling place with men. This uh, here is Revelation chapter 20. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And just notice again the link here between God's presence and wholeness and healing and wellness. A little later in the same chapter it says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So we followed the theme of the temple through the Bible. Now it ends. There is no longer any need for the temple that immediate and close, intimate relationship of God and man has been restored. So we will see God face to face and walk with him as Adam and Eve did in the garden. All things will have been made new. The restoration is complete. So that's the big picture. It's a great story, and it's a story that we are part of. I know I spent quite a little bit of time on that, but I think it's helpful, us to remind, it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of what that big picture is and where we find ourselves in that story. There's a progression. There's a beginning and a middle and an end to the story. And through it all, we see the presence of God with his people, perfectly and immediately back in the garden at the beginning, perfectly and immediately at the end in the new earth. But despite man's sin... God is still present here in the middle sections and his promise is that he will be present here on the earth now through us, his people. That's where we are in the story. 
So over these next few weeks, as I've said already, between Easter Day and Whitson, we're going to use the opportunity to particularly think about the presence of God with us through his Holy Spirit. He is already with us anyway, but don't we want more of God's presence? There was a prophecy recently at a Catalyst Leaders Conference, a prophecy about a wind beginning to emerge from the wilderness and a new life that is coming. We really want the Holy Spirit to come and bring new life here in Chertsey. So we want to consider what this might look like and how we might prepare for it. So that's broadly where we're wanting to go, forward into Pentecost and beyond. But just for these last few minutes this morning, I just want to relate that forward-looking vision back into Easter that we celebrated two weeks ago. So Easter, the time of year when we remember the death and, uh, and resurrection of the Son of God. It's, it's, a, it's a momentous event, of course, and it's, it's too big a thing to um, sort of fit into one kind of um, image or one way of capturing its significance and meaning. And Nathan, when he spoke a couple of weeks ago, um, used the image of Jesus' outstretched arms, outstretched in victory and power and love and peace. Today, I want to consider Easter as a time of reversal. This is the language of Romans chapter 5. Because of Adam's disobedience, death came to all men. But because of Jesus' obedience, life came to all who trust him. Because of um, before there there was condemnation, now there is justification. Before there was enmity and separation, now there is reconciliation. When Adam sinned, he gave up his God given authority. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was crowned king seated at the right hand of the God, um, of God the Father, and given all authority and heaven on earth. And he has given that authority back to us. The cross was the great reversal, the beginning of the restoration of the old order. Easter day is the day that the new king was enthroned. Easter day is about um, the beginning of the new kingdom. We aren't going back to the old Eden, but we are going forward to the new Eden. Easter wasn't about just us getting our souls saved so that one day we would go to heaven. In the meantime, we just hang on the best we can. It was about us here and now being reconciled to God. It was about us here and now living in his presence and here and now participating with him in seeing his kingdom come. Here and now being part of the great reversal and restoration of all things. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus told the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he had commanded them. And that he told them that he would be with them even to the end of the age. They wouldn't do this on their own, but Jesus would be present with them. There's a parallel um, passage in in the beginning of, of Acts in the context of speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus told the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift that the Father had promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples were to continue the work that Jesus had started, bringing in the kingdom, reversing the effects of sin in the world. But they weren't being abandoned to do this on their own. God's presence would go with them. 
he would empower them to do the work they had been called to do. Just as in their time, the world now is still a place of turmoil, a place of hurt and pain and suffering. And our commission now is the same as theirs was then, to go into the world with the good news, to see people reconciled to God, to see people healed, to see the captives set free, to see justice for the oppressed. And God's presence will go with us by his Holy Spirit and empower us to do the work that we have been called to do. So you see, it's all about the presence of God. To be restored to the immediate, intimate and glorious presence of God is our hope and our goal. And that's sometime in the future. But it's also the means now by which that restoration will come about. Because right now it is through us, filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that God's presence is in the world to bring love, hope, light, healing, freedom to those that are in captivity and darkness. Through the presence of God with us and by his Holy Spirit, we are the hope of the world. So over these coming weeks, let's use the excuse of the season as an opportunity to particularly focus on desiring and seeking after the presence and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And let's raise our expectation of what God can do through us as we are submitted to him and filled with his Holy Spirit.